I'm Desiree. And I'm Taylor. You're tuned into Birthkeeper Banter, a space to discuss powerful birth stories, radical birthkeeping, and all things birth outside of the box. This podcast is produced by Herbal Training, and nothing discussed should be considered medical advice because birth is not a medical event. For classes and more information, go to herbal.teachable.com. Hi, friends. It's Taylor. Today, I'm going to be talking about something that is not only related to birth, but for the natural community, it's something that many of us worry about and become concerned about when thinking about what the right thing is to do for our children when we are facing something that we are unfamiliar with and possibly unable to treat ourselves at home. And so when we go seek assistance, whether that be during labor after an unassisted pregnancy or transferring after birth and something is just funky with baby or funky with mom and we're worried about CPS being contacted for having an unassisted pregnancy or birth or if we are raising our children uh, naturally and say our three-year-old is experiencing something that we're unfamiliar with or our 10-year-old is experiencing something that just doesn't quite seem right and we feel that we need more help than we can offer them at home. So many people in those situations and circumstances fear CPS so much. And I find that a lot of those people that have those concerns come to me because of our experience with Noah. If you're unfamiliar with our story, hashtag medical freedom for Noah and hashtag bring Noah home can tell you a lot on social media. But just as a quick wrap up, uh, long story short, my son was taken away for us going to seek a second opinion on his chemotherapy protocol. When he was originally diagnosed with cancer, we were very distraught and confused. How could our natural baby possibly be diagnosed with leukemia? And after being in the hospital for just a week, just eight days, uh, the cancer was miraculously gone, completely gone. Uh, they could not find a trace of it in his body, but they would not deem him cured or in remission by any means. So <laughs> being very confused by the fact that we were told just eight days prior that our son was dying and that chemo was absolutely needed at that moment, and for three and a half years at that, um, we decided that a second opinion was needed because we don't feel that cancer just disappears out of the body within a week. It just didn't make sense to us. They couldn't explain it. Um, they also couldn't explain why he still needed to do chemotherapy for three and a half years. And the studies were shaky, in our opinion, when we looked into our own research and our own evidence. And we fought through a long, hard battle uh, nine months in total with CPS going in and out of court. And uh, we ended up dealing with them for a full year. But after nine months, we did get our son back in our home, completely traumatized by the entire experience, of course. But because of that story, a lot of people come to me when they are concerned about bringing their children to the hospital because they're worried about CPS taking them away for not vaccinating, for having an unassisted birth, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, being that I say the same things over and over and over again to different people, I figured I would just make a podcast to talk about generally what I suggest. That being said, all state laws are different. I always recommend that if you can, please consult with an attorney because I'm not an attorney. I don't know the laws in every state, every country. I don't even know all of the laws in my own state. And that is what we hired an attorney for that is amazing and really took care of us and got our son home faster than we could have ever imagined and faster than most parents do. So that being said, um, first let's talk about deciding to take your baby in, to be seen for whatever reason, however old they are, um, whatever you're dealing with. First, you should ask yourself, am I overreacting? Am I scared? Am I anxious? Am I looking for something to be wrong right now? Is it absolutely necessary to bring them in? Is this an emergency? Do I have time to go somewhere else? If you have time to go see your naturopath or your family doctor or make an appointment for a couple days out or a week out, please 
do so. If there's somebody, a professional, that can see your child um, within a week's time or a couple weeks' time, if it's not something urgent uh, that is pressing right now, like a serious injury or a serious illness, um, you do not have to run to the ER for everything. That might have been your experience as a child. That might have been what your parents did for you. You don't have to keep repeating that same cycle. If it is not an emergency, urgent right now, you do not have to walk into an ER where you're going to have no idea who the staff are and potentially subject yourself and your children to unnecessary harassment. So if you have the time to go somewhere else or you have an alternative or a professional that you can seek counsel with, please do that instead first. But if it's unavoidable and it's an emergency and it's urgent, please take your baby to be seen. Don't avoid the facilities just because there is a possibility of being harassed and having CPS involved. Um, you definitely want to get your baby medical care if there's something seriously going on. Do not avoid it just because of the fear of CPS because it will likely result in CPS. Otherwise, if your baby is seriously injured from not being treated or dies as a result of not being treated. So please do take your babies to be seen if it is urgent and it is an emergency. But if there is an alternative or someone else that can see them, please go to that person first. Um, when thinking about other professionals to take your baby and to be seen, like for example, we have a very natural-minded family doctor in our community. When our son started experiencing really weird symptoms and we weren't sure what was going on with him before we got the cancer diagnosis, I did call him first. Um, and unfortunately, they were unable to see us for like weeks out. So they encouraged us to go to urgent care. Urgent care is the one that ultimately transferred us to the hospital because when they were thinking that it was just something simple like a small infection, um, he started experiencing more severe symptoms before we left the office after we were being discharged. And they encouraged us to go to the emergency room immediately across the street. So that is how our story resulted um, in going to the hospital because it was something that we actually tried to handle outside of the hospital and were ultimately transferred there. So I'm always an advocate for trying different routes first, but thinking about professionals that may be an option for you, like I said, naturopath, a family doctor, people that are not gonna be report happy, maybe even something that your chiropractor can manage because chiropractors can order labs, they can order x-rays, they are medical doctors in most states. And so if they can order something or a local midwife that you're friends with can order something, start there because that might be a way better route, way more likely to stay off the radar and not get you reported to CPS if you go to someone that is not report happy. Most ERs, um, most hospital staffs are CPS happy because they're scared of liability. They're scared to see a kid with a broken arm and not report it because of cases that they may have experienced trauma from not reporting a case, such as a kid comes in with a broken arm, um, the staff doesn't report it, and later to find out that the kid was severely abused at home and that broken arm was a result of their father harming them, and later the child ended up dead. These people have serious trauma. Um, there is serious indoctrination that is ingrained to them, into them that many parents are abusive, especially natural-minded families. Um, I've even seen something as silly as, oh, you should look for people that have more than five kids, or you should look for people that homeschool. They are more likely to be abusive. That is what is legitimately taught to some of these medical staff. And it is absolutely insane how they take this and they believe this, but this is what they're being taught in school. So it's something to be mindful of that they are simply being brainwashed to believe that most natural families are abusive and that we don't want to take our kids to be seen by doctors. Um, when really it's because of their indoctrination that we don't want to go see them, not because we don't want our kids to be well. So yes, just keep that in mind that there are other professionals out there that you can probably go see and consult with first so that you don't have to potentially deal with harassment. Um, another thing to consider 
before taking your baby in for whatever reason is do you have time to consult with a family attorney that specializes in CPS cases and medical freedom and somebody that has experience with fighting CPS, not somebody that only specializes in divorces and actually works with CPS. Um, you want to get a lawyer that specializes in fighting against CPS and getting parents custody back without handing them over to the government pretty much is um, where I'm going with that. You want somebody that's going to be on your side and is not going to suggest that you just do whatever they say because that's not what you're paying them for. So think about, do you have time to consult with a family attorney and get recommendations in your community for somebody that is for parents choice and for medical freedom, if possible. Um, there's usually one in every state that you can find that people are going to recommend like, oh yeah, she's the good one. Or look for a natural minded mother or father that is also an attorney. That's your best bet because they're going to see where you're coming from. They're going to know why you make the choices you do and not say, um, yeah, you should probably vaccinate and I don't agree with the fact that you don't vaccinate, so I'm probably not the best lawyer for you. Or they just waste your time and money and tell you to do whatever CPS says. That's not helpful. So make sure that you get a general review if you have time to do so. And another thing to consider is, do you have time to hire a patient advocate that is not an entity of the hospital? So. Why do you not want a patient advocate that is at the hospital? Worst case scenario, um, they tell you to do exactly what the hospital staff says. And if you don't, they end up being the ones that report you to CPS because you feel comfortable disclosing to them because they're a patient advocate. They should be on your side, right? But that's not the case. They're hired by the hospital. They're not going to be adamantly opposed to what the other hospital staff their colleagues have to say. So look for a patient advocate that is not an entity of the hospital, is not staff, and get you a private patient advocate so that you can have somebody that is not at risk for losing their job if they actually advocate for you and really give you informed consent and help you stand up against stuff that is not cooperating with you and not speaking to you in a way that you should be spoken to. So make sure that if you have time, you hire a private patient advocate. Now, all of those things being said, say this is an emergency, you don't have time to do any of that and you're at the hospital already and you've just bypassed all of that, you haven't been able to talk to a family attorney, hire a private patient advocate, you haven't gotten to go consult a different professional that you feel comfortable with and that you know has your same views and shares those. So you're at the hospital. First of all, you have religious rights. Use them. I cannot stress that enough. Use your religious rights. If something is against your religion, tell them that. Um, and just keep in mind that religion really means anything. It's pretty vague. So you could even be a spiritual person and not have a certain higher power, God, whatever, but you could still be, quote, religious, unquote. So make sure that if you are opposed to something, it is against your religion. It's not just that you're opposed to it because you don't agree with it. It's against your religion. Spiritually, you do not agree with vaccines. Spiritually, you do not agree with a spinal tap. See what I mean? So make sure that you utilize those religious rights and freedoms that you have. And if they ask you what your religion is, you are not required by law to disclose that religion. And if you can, ahead of time, before the situation even occurs, get your children religious exemptions for vaccines. If it is possible in your state, in your country, make sure you get those religious forms because it really only takes a couple hours to go and do that and take the time out of the day to protect your kids as much as you can with a religious exemption. They don't always hold up. Um, they aren't always the savior, but it is better to have 
those on file and on hand, showing that ahead of this case happening, that you've already had religious exemptions and spiritual beliefs that prevent you from doing XYZ medications. And this can help you in the court of law if your case gets taken to court. Unfortunately, we were not able to use this in, um, in the case with Noah because we did not have any religious, previous religious establishings, like we couldn't prove that we were part of a church. We couldn't prove that we were part of a religious organization when they pressed. And when the hospital had asked if we were religious, we said no. And so therefore we couldn't use those religious rights and religious freedoms to help us in our case because Florida does not have philosophical exemptions. Some states do, and that's great. If you do have philosophical exemptions, which are very rare um, amongst the country right now, and they should be implemented further, and hopefully we'll get to a point where all states have philosophical exemptions, as we should, um, because it shouldn't have to be about religion. We should just get to choose. But that being said, Florida does not offer that. Many states do not offer that. But if your state does offer philosophical exemptions, use those as well. But otherwise, use your religious rights and freedoms because um, even if you ultimately in the end get forced to do something, like Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, they religiously cannot accept blood transfusions, but the state can still mandate their child to get a blood transfusion if otherwise the child will die without one. But because of their religious rights and freedoms, that child cannot be taken away for the parents having those religious beliefs. So the treatment will simply be mandated, but the child will not be removed from their home. So that is the major difference in using those religious freedoms. It doesn't always prevent the treatment, but it can prevent removal. Another thing, if you're at the hospital, you're only there to be treated for the reason that you came to be treated nothing else. So if you're coming in for a broken finger, there's no reason that a doctor needs to do a full body exam. They should only be treating that broken finger. So make sure that they are not doing unnecessary tests, unnecessary exams, and more to your child because that means that they're looking for something and not necessarily something wrong with your kid but other signs of abuse. So make sure that they're not trying to make a case out of your child, especially if you're coming in for a broken finger and they're bringing up, why does your kid have a bruised knee? That is a doctor that is looking for abuse. Another thing at the hospital is to ask what your alternatives are when they present something as necessary or mandatory. So if they say, a spinal tap is necessary to figure out why your kid has a fever. This is not something that you have to agree to because they're using the word necessary or mandatory. They use these words to convince parents out of fear, to coerce parents into doing this because the doctor feels it is the best route. That's not informed consent. So make sure that you ask, what are the risks to that? What are the benefits of me doing that? What are my alternatives? What happens if I say no? You need to ask these questions for clarification because they usually will not offer them to you freely. So make sure that you give yourself informed consent when they do not. Make sure to ask for those alternatives especially. And if you'll be seeking a second opinion because you're not going down the route that they claim is necessary, make sure you transfer to that facility immediately. If they are out of state, you need to call in advance and speak with a physician first before doing so to make sure that they'll have a better option for you, first of all. Because if you're just going to go somewhere else to get a second opinion and they're just going to tell you, this same thing and try to coerce you as well, that's not helpful. So if you're just hospital hopping um, in a local vicinity, you're likely not going to get the second opinion or alternative treatment that you're looking for. Um, so make sure that you're not just hospital hopping without any clarity or reasoning behind what you're doing because they all have their hands in the same pot. They're all working together. They're usually all trained 
in the same schools, um, same protocols, and they all meet together, people from different hospitals. They all meet together on a regular basis and talk about what they're doing and what standard of protocol they're going to offer. So just going from one hospital to the one five miles down the road is not necessarily going to offer you anything different. It's still probably going to be the same coercion. So make sure that you call in advance and that the other physician is actually going to provide you with what you're looking for or with an unbiased opinion. Ask them questions. Ask them the same questions that you asked the hospital staff there that resulted in you wanting to get a second opinion. Don't just radically run off, uh, leave the hospital, sign out against medical advice, and go to another hospital. That's not going to work out well in your favor, and it's going to look poor and negligent on your part to do so. So make sure that you call around in advance and have somebody ready with the alternative treatment that you're looking for. And if they're not going to provide you an alternative treatment or if one doesn't exist, why would you up and leave? Um, because otherwise, it's just going to look poor on your part. And if they say that they have an alternative for you, that they have a better option for you, get documentation of them agreeing to see you. So having things faxed over to that office from where you are currently in the hospital, if you have them directly transfer those records or you have the other facility where you're going to go, send in a request for records. That can be helpful. That's documentation right there that you've already been communicating with somewhere else because this happened in our case with Noah. We had a physician that agreed to see us over the phone. So all verbal agreement. And then when push came to shove and before we reached that appointment, Noah was removed from us. Um, that physician did not want to get involved legally and declined ever speaking with us. So that was really hard to deal with because it made us look negligent and that we were running away. Um, so that being said, make sure you get documentation of everybody that you speak to. Uh, when, where, what are they going to do that's different. Have them communicating with the other providers that you are with currently so that it is known that you are actively seeking different care. Um, so say CPS shows up at the hospital for whatever reason, or shows up at your door after you've been discharged and you decline treatment or whatever happened, say CPS is now involved. So when they arrive, uh, you don't need to appear guarded, nasty, defensive. That's not gonna work in your favor. It's not going to be helpful for you to automatically come off the bat and be like, I don't like you. I have no interest in you participating in my child. Um, I don't want you around checking on my kid. That is going to get the caseworker to believe that you are hiding something and they're not going to like you or be your friend. Um, I always say to treat these people as hmm, acquaintances. There's no reason for you to automatically assume that they're your enemy because there are some good caseworkers out there that will advocate for you and will say, no, 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 she's right to question this because what you said, doctor, does not sound correct. So can you please explain it to me, a caseworker, um, that is actually going to advocate for these parents? There are caseworkers like that, that do not want to rip children from their home unnecessarily. There are bad caseworkers as well, and those are ones that we should be worried about. But regardless, we don't need to treat anybody automatically like an enemy because we wouldn't want that from them. Um, so even if they come off nasty, guarded, like they're coming after you, do not show them any signs of wavering because you have done nothing wrong. So there is no reason for you to be defensive or to worry about the way that they're acting because you have done nothing wrong. You are simply advocating for your child and you are doing the best for your child that you believe with your full intention is the best thing to do. And bottom line, that's the way that you should be presenting yourself is that you're just trying to do the best for your child. No argument, no arguing <laughs> and no defensive tactics needed. So when they ask questions, you should answer those questions. Don't refuse to answer everything. There's no reason to refuse to give them your last name, for example, or to refuse to tell them where your child goes to daycare. Nothing like that. There's no reason for you to refuse that because they're gonna find that out regardless. So 
only if you feel that something is like specifically attacking you and that you feel requires a legal person to be present, um, then you could say, mm, I don't know that I feel comfortable asking that. Why or answering that? Why are you asking me? And you can question why they're asking you things. That is perfectly acceptable. Just don't come at them aggressively because they will use aggression against you. 100%. So answer questions, but answer them as shortly and vaguely as you can. There's no reason for you to tell them your entire life story and that you were abused as a child because that is one of the biggest red flags for an abuser later on in a caseworker's eyes is that you were abused as a child. You're obviously continuing the pattern of abuse. So that is something to keep in mind. Um, you don't need to give them your whole life story or hand them a handbook of everything that you do on a daily basis. Like if they ask if you and your partner ever fight in front of the kids, it's not smart to say, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> we bicker in the car when they're in the car as well, like everybody else. The answer is no. Um, because anything that they can use against you, they might. So don't give them anything that they can use against you, even if it's very genuine. Um, so just answer everything as short as you can. Let them dig for things. That's their job to ask questions. So let them ask more detailed questions if an answer is too short or not elaborate enough for what they want. But never just jump in with a whole elaborate story about your life, like I said. Um, also, avoiding them doesn't usually turn out in people's favor. So I see a lot in the natural community where people are like, oh, just don't answer the door. Don't answer their phone calls um, because they're just looking for things. And they could be. They could just be looking for things. But avoiding them makes some caseworkers pursue harder because they feel like you're avoiding them and that you must be hiding something. So don't give them a reason to believe that you're hiding something. Communicate with them. Just don't communicate with them so freely that you just hand them a case to run off with. Um, it shouldn't be one extreme versus the other. It should be a good balance to result in the best situation for the kid. Um, so just don't completely avoid them. That's not going to be helpful if your car's in the driveway, all the lights are on, and they can hear the kids screaming inside just playing around or whatever, um, and they're coming to the door every day and knocking and you're not answering, that doesn't look good on your part. So don't completely avoid them. When they are present, let them know each time that you'll be recording the entire interaction for yours and their safety. If they don't feel comfortable with this, that's fine. They don't have to speak with you. They don't have to come there without an attorney present because that might be something that they're worried about is legalities. Maybe they're doing something wrong and they don't feel comfortable with it being recorded. That's fine. You guys can wait to talk this out until attorneys are present. Most of the time this will put them off and um, they will not continue to pursue the case because it costs them money for their attorney to go to home visits with them. They don't want to do that. So let them know that you'll be recording the entire interaction for yours and their safety, not just your safety, for their safety as well because their safety is important to you, <laughs> and so is yours and your kids. But if you do have a lawyer, have them on the phone for the entire duration. Sometimes this will make caseworkers very uncomfortable. That's okay, you're protecting yourself and enacting your rights. If they don't wanna speak with you and continue the case because you have a lawyer on the phone, that's a red flag. So if you do have a lawyer, make sure to have them on the phone for the entire interaction and be prepared to pay them to do so. That lawyer is taking the time out of their day to make sure that you're safe and they deserve to be paid just as much as anybody else. So be prepared to pay them if you have to utilize them for that service. There are some family lawyers out there that believe in medical freedom and they understand the corruption of CBS and they will charge a monthly fee to be available for things like this. So you can always have somebody on hand and know that you're not going to be left short or have someone that's not answering the phone because they haven't been paid. Um, so look for those lawyers and ask them what their fees would be to do that, to be on call for you if you're concerned about a case coming up in the future or you just want some kind of protection on your side. 
in the unlikely event that you were to have something like this happen. It is good to have them on the phone and for them to be able to ask questions and for them to just be a listening ear to make sure that you're not being violated and they can give you advice. Um, the caseworkers, they do not have a right to enter your home without a warrant. If they are insisting that they have a warrant or that they have to enter your home, you need to see that warrant and that warrant needs to be correct. It needs to have your full legal correct name and it needs to have your full legal correct address. If it doesn't, it is not a legal warrant. Um, and if they come into your house without a warrant, they can be pursued legally. They can be sued. Um, it's not to say that it doesn't happen and that they don't just walk right in without a warrant. They do. Um, but they can be pursued for that and they should be because that is in complete violation of our rights. So just know they don't have a right to enter your home without that warrant. And if they have a warrant, they should be showing up with the police as well. It shouldn't just be them. And make sure that you see that warrant, you get a copy of that warrant, get documentation. Um, otherwise, they only need to see that you have electricity, rainwater, and food in your fridge or pantry for the kids to eat. See if you can Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime them while you walk into your kitchen, or simply open the front door if the kitchen is viewable from the porch or the front door or whatever. Um, see if you can do that instead and let them view that you have these essentials and then close the door and you can continue your conversation outside because you don't feel comfortable with them coming into your house. That is completely fine and acceptable and doesn't make them think that something is wrong. Um, it's not a crime to not want somebody in your house that is a complete stranger that is there on accusations of child abuse. <laughs> it's completely understandable to not want them in your house at all. And they should be understanding of that and allow you to uphold your rights. Um, one thing that is really concerning is some caseworkers are looking for problems and they will strip, strip search a child, make the parents um, completely remove the kid's clothes, check them for marks, bruises, cuts, scrapes, etc. And if you're anything like me as a boy mom, our kids do have that because they play outside. So um, if they see those marks, they can holler abuse. And that's not something that you want to hand to them because that's ridiculous. They don't need to view every single room in your house. They don't need to ask you about the guns in your home. Um, actually, they're not allowed in most states to ask if you have guns in your home. They can't ask, however, if you are aware of proper gun safety. So that is something to keep in mind. Um, they do frequently ask about water. Is there water around your property? Are you familiar with water safety? If you have a pool, if you have a lake, whatever, that's a normal question to ask. So they might ask that, but you're not required to answer all of their questions either. So if something just doesn't feel comfortable, just say, I'm not sure how to answer that, or I don't feel comfortable answering that. Why are you asking? And always ask why, because most of the time they don't actually even know. And they're like, oh yeah, you're right. That's a weird question. I'll just write not applicable for that. You don't have to consent to a drug test either. If there's any drug accusations, they will show up with drug tests that are urine tests that um, supposedly test on the spot for cannabis, meth, whatever, whatever's testable on a urine screening. You don't have to consent to that, especially if you're a mother that uses cannabis or something like that. Um, you don't want to be slapped with child neglect or abuse just because you utilize cannabis as medicine. So you don't have to consent to a drug test. If they need a drug test, tell them that you will go to a preferred lab. They can write up a lab order. Their physician can order that and you will go to your preferred lab. That is not the labs that they show up with because those urine screenings can be completely contaminated and will flag you positive for something that you've never consumed or put into your body. So Make sure that if they are requiring a drug test to close the case, that you go to your own lab and you have um, a blood and urine screening done that you know is not going to be contaminated. You're also not required to sign anything unless court mandated. So if a safety plan is provided and they tell you that you have to sign it, that is false. Um, you say, thank you. I'll keep this for my records and go on about your day and say goodbye to them. You are not required to sign it. 
and you can um, write on there, N-A, not applicable, not signing, <laughs> and go on about your day. You're not required to say, yes, I will abide by the safety plan because some of the safety plans have little innuendos in there that say, I agree that I'm putting my child at risk for not vaccinating or something like that just to protect their butts. But you don't want that coming up in a future court case that says, I agree that I'm putting my child's life at risk. Definitely don't want to sign something like that. Overall, most cases will close within 30 days if the caseworker does not pursue it any further. So you can look forward to a letter in the mail that says your case is closed and it will have their name on it, usually their contact information, and that's it. Or they might text you or call you and let you know that the case has been closed. Um, do get documentation that the case is closed. If they don't send a letter, ask them to so that you can just have documentation that the case was closed and nothing was founded. Now, if the case goes to court, if a case plan is provided in the court of law, that's another story. You are required to sign those because you're being mandated by law to complete them or your rights as a parent will be terminated. But don't sign your rights away before you get to that point. But just know that in the court of law, you should not refuse to sign their safety or case plan once it has been mandated. One thing that I see in the natural quote woke community is that people always recommend to sui juris yourself. Um, I probably didn't say that correctly, but please do not try to do this in dependency. It is a quick way to get your kid taken away from you. Um, the government laughs in the face of sovereign people. They do not care that you believe that you're sovereign and that the government has no right over you because they will still move forward and terminate your rights as a parent. Take your kid, place them in an adoptive family home, and you will no longer have possession of your child. I have seen so many cases go wrong of people trying to represent themselves, declare sovereignty over themselves and their children. Guess what? When you signed up for the social security and the birth certificate and you birthed your child in America, you signed up for the government to have rights over you. That's it. Um, and even being a sovereign kid does not protect you because if you have a social security and a birth certificate for yourself, the government still has rights over you. And so naturally they will still have rights over how you parent. So even if you keep your child sovereign, that does not protect them, unfortunately. I have seen several cases of children being, uh, the rights being terminated for their parents and then the kid goes MIA and is never to be found again because they have no documentation, they have no social security number, they have no identification. So how easy is it to send them over to a different country and sex traffic them? Because there's no documentation of them ever existing. And that makes it a lot harder in court cases. Um, when a child gets placed in foster care, it makes them really hard to track down and document. So it's really easy for those kids to get sent somewhere completely different and you have no idea where your kid is. I have heard so many stories from moms that thought that they were protecting their kids by being sovereign and then their children were never to be seen again after they were removed. So please do not think that that protects you. That is a big myth. It has to be done very, very strategically in order for any of that to work. You can't just willy-nilly say, I'm sovereign, you have no rights over me. It doesn't work like that at all. So just keep in mind that that is not the easy way out. And if it was, a lot more people would be doing that. So yeah, please do not try to do that in front of a judge. They will simply laugh at you and take your rights away. Another thing is <laughs> do not use the court assigned attorney. Often in dependency cases, the court will designate an attorney to each of the parents. But think about this. Who did they work for? They work for the courthouse. They're friends with the judges. They're friends with the attorneys that are working for CPS. They're friends with the caseworkers. Some of them even are dating the caseworkers or some other partnership along that lines. So please, for the love of God, do not accept the court appointed attorneys for your dependency case. 
do everything in your power, even if it takes a personal loan or GoFundMe, to hire a private family attorney that is going to work in your favor. The court-appointed attorneys are simply going to tell you to do what CPS says, and they're just going to counsel you on how to get into those parenting classes. They're going to counsel you on how to read the case plan and what it means. They're not going to give you your full rights. They're not going to tell you to go against CPS because that is their friends. Why would they? And they're definitely not going to go up against a judge for the very courthouse that they work for. So please do not fall victim to these court-appointed attorneys. They are a complete waste of time. <sighs> that always irks me. <laughs> so if you feel the case plan and accusations are unfair, you have the right to take them to trial. Most people don't know this. Most people will just think like, oh, the judge ordered it, so I have to do the case plan. If you haven't already been to trial, please take it to trial. It's worth it to just try. If you feel that you are being falsely accused of child neglect or abuse, you don't have to take that and swallow it. Um, you, if you have an attorney that's willing to take it to trial, take it to trial. If they see that it's worth it and they have good arguments against it, um, make them prove that you're abusive or neglectful. But that being said, it doesn't always go in your favor. So make sure that you complete the case plan task regardless while the trial is pending. You can do this. Um, it is going to cost extra finances to do this, obviously, one for the trial attorney, and two, uh, because the case plan is not technically ordered because it's still pending trial, you're going to have to pay for those parenting classes, domestic violence classes, anger management classes, whatever. Um, but it is so worth it because if you win trial, excellent, you don't have to go to those classes anymore um, and you get your kid back. <laughs> but if you lose trial, at least those case plan tasks are already almost completed. So then even if you lose, you're still halfway to getting your kid back. So it is only beneficial to do those case plan tasks. So keep that in mind. Thing that really gets people is kinship and agreeing to kinship because if you see it as well either my kid goes to foster care or they go to their grandmother's house why wouldn't I send them to their grandmother's house and agree to place them in kinship or guardianship it's also known as guardianship um, but this is a trick this is a really easy way that people get their rights as a parent taken away from them because the caseworker will argue every reason to keep your child in kinship and they still get money for doing so. Um, they don't really get money for reunifying parents. Um, some organizations do, but most of them know. They get money when they place a child elsewhere, not necessarily when they reunify them and send them home. So kinship still allows them to get that money. So if they can place the kid legally, with their grandparents or an aunt, whatever, um, they still get those funds and the child was still removed from you and your rights taken away. And it is so easy for the caseworkers to put a wedge between the grandparents and the parents and make the person that has possession of the child and kinship believe that the parent is actually in the wrong and is bad and get them to say things that go against the parent in court. Um, in order to keep the child, quote, safe in family custody and not get placed with a foster care family. So it is really easy for family members to be manipulated by thinking that they're doing the right thing and they're actually not. So do not just agree to kinship off the bat if something is being investigated. Um, do not sign your rights over so easily to a family member because that is not always the best option either. And finally, if you're in a case, decide whether utilizing social media and the news media is in your favor. It's not always in your favor. So I had a really big following going through the case with Noah. I'm really lucky. 
that I did. I'm really lucky that I had the friends that I did and the social media following that I did. And I try to use that to help people now. Um, but our case is different than most. Most people do not have that kind of following. Most people do not get that large amount of attention. And the reason that ours did is because the media picked up on our story. And we, I had a large following on social media already, but when the mainstream media picked up on our story, it went international. And that is because my family and the hospital were working together to initiate an Amber Alert for my child. Um, <laughs> because my family is very controlling and possessive, and needless to say, they are no longer in my life. But that being said, um, that is the reason that our case really took off and why the media was beneficial because we displayed with the media, we utilized that source to show how nasty the hospital was being. We had proof, we had evidence, and we broadcasted it. And every update that we had, we broadcasted it because it was wrong and we had the following to be able to do that. If you do not have a following like that, please do not talk crap on social media about your social workers, about your caseworkers, about your guardian ad litem, about the person who has kinship over your child, about the hospital staff that you're going through this court case with. Do not do that. Otherwise, you will likely have your child taken away from you. We are not the prime example of how you should behave on social media when your child is taken away just because it worked for us, because I had that following and because we had international news sources following our story doesn't mean that it's going to work in somebody's favor that has zero following 50 friends and no news media watching their every move and broadcasting it. If it's not going to work in your favor, please do not do that because then they will use every ounce of that social media against you. We had caseworkers that posed as people in the crunchy community to get into our chats about Noah on Facebook Messenger, on Instagram, on text message, people reaching out to me claiming that they're my friends and they were actually caseworkers baiting me. They were baiting, trying to find something wrong with us and trying to find something that they could use against us in the court of law and that is completely legal for them to do so so please be careful utilizing social media if you do not have a following if you do not have people that are going to be sharing these posts and getting hundreds of thousands of views on your videos and things like that please do not use us as an example of how you should behave on social media because we only were able to do that because of the following that we had most of the time just like in a job interview, talking crap on social media is not going to work in your favor and it's going to be used against you. Please consult with your own personal family attorney on if this is a good route for you or not. Um, because there were even times in our case where our lawyer was like, nope, nope, you shouldn't share that on social media. And listen, listen to your attorney if you know that they genuinely have your best interest. Now, if you do have a following and you can get a hold of somebody that has a really good following and can share your story in a manner that is respectful and that you would be okay with being shared in court, that's great because the more pressure that is on the caseworkers, um, the better sometimes. So if that is a good option for you, then go for it because that did help in our case. The hospital was very, very mindful of the way that they behaved with us because they knew that it was going to be broadcasted. So sometimes it's a great tool. Sometimes it's the worst possible tool that you can use. So bear that in mind. Um, all of that to say, please do not sit with this fear of CPS on your shoulders constantly when you take your kid to the doctor because it's just going to stress you out, cause anxiety, make you have a defensive energy. Um, don't sit with that fear on your shoulders for your entire child's life because it's not fun to feel that way even we cannot live that way with having had our child taken away we still cannot walk around with that fear on our shoulders even though it's still present and we're still working through it um 
don't live your life in fear because it's not the way to go. You, <laughs> you still have to keep moving forward and have a normal life and do seek care when there are emergencies because I know a lot of people expressed extreme fear of medical professionals when we went through this case. And if you're a medical professional, you should keep that in mind. Don't be a dick to parents, especially natural-minded parents that come to you and want to seek different options for their kids. Don't be a dick because that leaves an imprint on them forever. And please do not call CPS for frivolous reasons. It is not funny to play a joke on somebody that used to be your friend and is no longer your friend, so you call CPS on them. It's not cool. So don't do that just because it can really hurt somebody's family. Um, if you are a friend of somebody and CPS comes to you, only speak good of them, even if there's something bad that you could say. If the child is not legitimately in harm's way, please do not speak ill of the family because that can get them in serious trouble. Um, so please do not do anything maliciously, even if you feel that it's small. It could be something that CPS turns around and uses against them. So please don't do that. <laughs> be, be a good friend, even if you're not friends anymore. And um, yeah, just always keep that in mind. So I hope that this helps somebody. Above all, look into the laws and the statutes of your state. Know your rights. What does the Parents' Bill of Rights say? in your state, what did the statute say, uh, decipher neglect and child abuse, look into those things because it is important to know and keep that in mind. Have resources available for a private patient advocate or a private family attorney that you can go to in situations like this. Have friends that you can use as references that will only speak positively of you if a caseworker needs to use somebody as a reference of your character. So all in all, I hope that helps somebody. Um, I know that my story causes a lot of concern and people look to me as like the most knowledgeable person about CPS because I was involved in it. Truth be told, I'm not the expert in most situations. There are things that I look back in my case and I would have done differently. Um, so just keep that in mind um, that even people that have been through this are not experts. And even if your case is similar, we don't have the same kid, we don't have the same caseworker, we don't have the same attorney, the same relationship with my spouse as you do with yours, or maybe you don't even have a spouse. There are all very different scenarios at play, so don't look to my case as the end-all be-all. Um, most cases don't go that way, so I am not the expert in anything. Please consult with a family attorney that knows the laws, that is pro-medical freedom in your state, because that will do you a lot more benefit and justice than I can as a mother that went through it. The best thing that I can offer you is empathy and my experience. Um, but otherwise, I'm not much of a help as far as legal advocacy or anything like that. I'm no expert in what you should or should not say to CPS. Um, but I just want to share my experience and tips that I learned and things that I've seen from other people so that you can keep that in mind if you're ever in the position that you have to get medical care for your child from strangers that you aren't familiar with or you end up going through a CPS case. So thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it and really hope this helps alleviate some fears and helps you feel more prepared. Thanks for tuning in to this awesome episode of Birthkeeper Banter. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you can get notifications for future episodes. Again, for classes and more information, go to herbal.teachable.com. Brought to you by Herbal Training. Thank you.